Amen. Good morning. And uh, good morning uh, to all those who are worshiping online. Uh, thank you for joining with us in this way. And uh, it's good to see all y'all. And uh, I've, I've been thinking a lot about how much has changed in the last year. A lot has changed in the last year. Some things have changed that they're saying might never go back the same again, like commercial office real estate space. It's changed. So many people are working from home that never thought their bosses would let them do that, right? A lot's changed. Uh, one of the things that's, that's changed in the last year is air travel, right? And they're saying it's never going to recover. It's never going to be the same. But they said the exact same thing after 9-11, and it did recover. So I don't – never is a pretty bold prediction for us who don't know the future. But it's definitely changed for now, right? It's changed that we don't see all of a person's face, right? Like I believe in the power of a smile. And so often when somebody greets me, I don't even necessarily say the word hello back. I just smile at them. But now I just look rude. <laughs> and, and it's interesting. We, we've had some folks who started visiting our church during quarantine time, COVID time. And so I've actually never seen their face. You know, I want to run into them one day. They're going to be like, it's so good to see you again. I'll be like, have I ever met you? <laughs> oh, now I recognize you. Right. And I'm curious, how many of you have had this experience where you see a picture or maybe you're watching a film and you see a huge crowd of people with no masks on because it was recorded. And you're like, oh, they're going to get in trouble. Right. Am I the only one who's seen that and been like, that is a lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh, that was so 2019. Never mind. <laughs> a lot's changed. For some of you, you changed your address. Uh, I've been reading recently about how uh, there were record home sales in 2020. The major majority of which were people buying larger homes than they previously had because they were stuck at home with their kids, right? Let's be honest. That's the why that nobody's talking about. Make sense of the real estate trend. If you met their kids, you'd understand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure they're precious. Just need a little more space, right? We learned that Google really does control everything, including the classroom. You know, a lot's changed in the last year. And then on a more serious front, some of us, we've seen changes in our family structure because we've suffered losses this year. For some of you, you've, you've had a job change in the last year that you didn't choose for yourself. A lot has changed. But what I want us to do together for the next three weeks is I want us to discipline our minds to root our hope in the things that have not changed and never will. Let's place our minds in the things that can't be taken from us. Right. Well, let's let's not continue. I uh, quoted uh, Ed Setzer in this uh, s- several months ago that that we're not being discipled by our cable news channel and we're not being spiritually formed by our social media platform. But instead, we're choosing to root our minds in our hearts in the living word of God and specifically in things that don't change. 
And, and what we're going to do is, is use as kind of a springboard for the next three weeks. One verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is known as the love chapter, right? But right smack dab in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 13, there's this idea of what remains. Three things actually that remain. You don't have to turn to this. This won't be our main text this morning. It says these three remain. Can't be taken from you. Circumstances don't change. A pandemic can't overthrow this. Uh, politicians can't recount these. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. P.S. or or parenthesis, but the greatest of these is love. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. These three remain. Let's do the work of rooting our hearts in the stuff that doesn't change. Faith, hope, and love. And, and what this, this text is going to be is kind of a diving board. I know it's January and it's really cold outside, but we're going to use this as a diving board into the snow, I guess. I don't know. Um, into uh, some different conversations, specifically this week talking about faith, and next week talking about uh, hope, Lord willing, and then uh, the week after that talking about love. And letting this kind of guide our conversations that will come back in this changing season where it seems like, like nothing's the same. I keep hearing from people, I wish so bad things would be normal. And if we're looking to our left and our right for normalcy, I think we're going to be disappointed. So maybe let's let God's word define what's normal. Here's some normal for you. Faith, hope, and love, these three remain. They abide. They endure. And, and, and part of the reason I feel like the Lord's kind of drawn me to this text several months ago is we started 2020 talking about faith, hope, and love. Technically, it was the last Sunday of 2019. But our New Year's communion, as we walked into 2020, we talked about faith, hope, and love, that it's kind of the, the direction that we look as we come to the Lord's table, that we look backwards at the pattern of faithfulness of our God and our faith is strengthened and we look forward and hope that he'll continue to fulfill his promises. And in the meantime, we love God passionately and we love people genuinely and vulnerably. That was what we talked about as we walked into 2020. And then a few months ago, uh, I heard a guy named Ben Stewart preach a series of sermons on this again that just like, man, I think we're supposed to go back here again. Because with everything that's changed since last time we talked about faith, hope, and love, faith, hope, and love have not changed. And they're still dependable and they're still trustworthy and they're still worthy places of anchoring our hearts and our minds. And and I know for some of us in, in the past 11 months or whatever, maybe you would say you feel like your faith has been shaken or, or your faith has been rattled. But here's the thing. Maybe a little rattling is a good thing. Maybe a little waking up is a good thing. Maybe a little testing of our faith is a helpful thing. So let's grab our Bibles this morning and we're going to, as we do every week, hold them up in the air and say our creed before we dive into our text for today. And if that's where you're at in your spiritual journey, then join with us in this tradition as we hold up our Bibles and declare this together. Do this at home as well with us. Be part of this. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you've 
been around church for a long time, you know this is a really uh, kind of pillar chapter of the Bible. Um, it's been called the Hall of Faith. It tells the stories of some of the most significant leaders throughout uh, biblical history. And it, and it begins these little mini narratives with the phrase, by faith, by faith. But before there's these many kind of Twitter stories of faith, there's a good, healthy, biblical definition of faith. And faith is one of those things that I find a really hard time putting words to. I have a hard time describing what it is to trust something, especially something that you can't see, which is actually in the definition of faith, which makes it harder to define for me. And there's a there's a guy who some of his books I've given to a lot of y'all named Mark Batterson. Um, he He's written a whole lot of books and some of you have read some of the books and pretty much in every one of his books, he seems to have this new like golden nugget definition of faith. Like I feel like in reading all of his books, I'm watching a dude my age grow in the understanding of faith and it's like straight up awesome stuff. Like I've been collecting his his little uh, bumper sticker definitions of faith and um, actually his church, National Community Church is actually who designed these graphics that we're using for this series. So shout out. Thanks, National Community Church. Um, but one of my favorite definitions uh, that, that Batterson uses is faith is unlearning our fears. We spend most of our life learning what to be afraid of and why and rationalizing, even if it's not rational, why that fear should control us. Faith is unlearning our fears. Isn't that good? Now, one of the other Batterson-isms that I really like is he says, doubt is putting my circumstance between me and God. But faith is putting God between me and my circumstance. That's just straight fire, y'all. You can just tweet at Mark Batterson and say, hey, that was good stuff right there. I don't have to buy your book now. I'm just kidding. Um, and so he's got so many good little definitions of faith. I'm actually probably going to quote him three more times on our little journey this morning. But I'll give him credit for it. I'm not just going to plagiarize and steal from the guy. But better than his definitions is God's definition. And, and he defines it in Hebrews chapter 11 this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Like being sure. The Surely I have hope. Surely you can't be serious, right? Yes, I have faith and stop calling me surely. Like the assurance of things that haven't arrived yet, that are in the unknown future and no timeline attached to them, being sure of what's hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Convinced. Being convinced. Of things that we can't see. Verse 2, for by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation, their, their thumbs up, <laughs> their attaboy. Like the people he's about to write about in, in, in just a minute here in the rest of Hebrews 11, he's like, listen, we think they did great things for God. But by faith, they believed God for great things. Right? That was where the thumbs up was from. Faith. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word 
of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are seen, (laughs) things that are visible. So again, back to verse one, that, that summary, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're going to seek to, from this text and then a verse we're going to look at later here in this chapter, give four kind of definitions to faith this morning. And the first one is this, faith is believing in more than I can see. Faith is believing in more than I can see. It's believing that something's happening more than just what I can taste and touch and smell and hear. My senses don't have the capacity to experience all of reality. There's something beyond me that's going on. And I would say it this way, faith is the belief that there's something bigger than me that's going on. Faith is hardest, I think, for those who love dealing with the sciences based on observation. And the more you love observation, I think sometimes the harder faith can be. But even more so, I think faith is difficult for those of us who love ourselves a lot. Because <laughs> faith is believing there's a bigger story than me going on here. Does that make sense? Faith is believing in more than what we see. One author said faith is believing that what matters most is more than matter. <laughs> right? That there's this bigger story going on that the stuff that we can touch and feel and explain isn't actually the real world, which sounds like spooky sci-fi matrix stuff, but like kind (laughs) of it's the idea of we're busy running from one thing to the next and keeping up with our errands. But there's this way bigger story going on that's being governed. That's faith that there's a bigger story. So if you ever had your kids walk in on you when you're arguing as husband and wife, I mean, I, y'all don't do that. Um, but we do. We're normal. Good for you. Like, you know, spouses, you just get on each other's nerves or you're arguing about. And it's always over the dumbest thing in the history of the universe, right? Like, how is this worth our efforts? I don't know. You're on my nerves today. Let's fight. And you're arguing. And your kids come walking in the room and they're like, hey, I was going to. I'll come back. Right? Like they didn't hear what was going on. They're not reading the transcript. They just walked in the room and they felt something's up. And I don't want to be up there with it. I'm out. Right? And literally, I I kind of feel like my, my brand new definition of faith is this. Faith is the belief that something's up. Like beyond what I can see or feel or experience, which I was not supposed to preach this message today. We were supposed to have started this series at the beginning of the year before I got COVID. And so how cool is it that we just sang, even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. Like God just helped us say faith. That we believe something's up. That there's a bigger story than how I felt in that moment or how that person reacted to me or what that person uh, uh, did to me or how life changed. And the belief that there's more than what we see means what we see is not what we get. Right? What you say is what you get. No, man, I I believe there's a whole lot more going on than what I get. (laughs) My sight can't possibly contain 
all that he is up to. That's something that's up. So here's another Battersonism about faith. Batterson says, people say that seeing is believing. But faith says, believing is seeing. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith believes that there's something more than what we can see. It is being convinced of the unseen. One more Batterson quote. And this is my favorite one. I've been saving it for now. This is my last one. Don't worry. Faith is seeing the invisible, hearing the inaudible, believing the impossible. That's faith. Believing in more than what we see. But let me say this. Before we move on from the the not seen idea here, let me say this. Faith is believing in more than what we see, but it is not believing less than what we see. What we see is supposed to feed our faith. That's the idea that, and so I preached this text three and a half, almost four years ago and, and made a note. You need to preach once a year on faith. And here we are almost four years later. And I was like, oh, we need to come back to this. Anyways, um. One of the things I said then is this verse does not read that that faith is the conviction of things never seen, just not seen right now. We do have a track record. You have a track record, and I have a track record of the faithful care of our Heavenly Father. And the reason that we call Him trustworthy is he has proven himself again and again and again as worthy of our faith. And so faith is believing in more than what we see, but not less, let's see. And I don't mean living in the past in some overly analytical way. T.D. Jake says, you can look back, just don't stare. Like we look and see the care of God. And I just believe, I'm impressed of the Lord to say this morning, somebody needs to relook at 2020 through the lenses of faith. Because you will see, if you will look with eyes of faith, the care of your father in the last 12 months. It's believing more than what we see. Believing something's up. Let me say it this way, and and this is just what makes sense in my head, so maybe this won't resonate with anybody, but I, I would form it this way. Faith is the death of coincidences. Faith says, I no longer believe in happy accidents. Sorry, Bob Ross. It means I'm not wishing upon a star. It's not looking out for lady luck on my side. Faith is the death of coincidence. It's believing that everything I encounter has a purpose in it. So I would finish that thought by, thought by saying faith is the death of coincidences. And it's the birth of purpose. When coincidences die, purpose comes to life. I believe God has never said, oh, any Bart Simpson people? 
God's never said, row, row. Oops. I did not encounter that factor. If Scooby-Doo and Bart Simpson aren't resonating with you, I thought I'd get a little more. God's never had a plan B. Like in this last year, how many of us made plans that fell apart? Good grief, right? Faith is believing that's never happened to our God. Like he's never watched something happen to us and go, I told him I'd bring good out of all things. What am I going to do now? Call a meeting of the smartest angels that I created and gave them all of their level of intelligence. Like what? It's the death of coincidences. Whatever you're facing today might be the least enjoyable thing you've ever experienced. But faith says God's up to something. So faith is believing in more than what we see. If you've got your Bible or your phone, scroll down or, or, or look down to verse number 6. And we're going to unpack the rest of the definition here. Verse number 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Which is interesting because remember verse 2 said that faith is how the people of old received their, hey, that was pleasing, their commendation. Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God. Man, I love that language. Whew. Draw near to God. Must believe, trust, have faith that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So our first definition here of faith is faith is believing in more than what we see. And the second thing I would say this faith is believing that God is God. I've mentioned many times that I grew up on the King James Version, and this is one of those times where I love the way that it reads. Because it says you must first believe that he is. He is what? Yes. <laughs> you must first believe that God is God. Believing that he's God. Because here's the deal. Our faith is only good based on who our faith is in. Right? And for many of us in the room, I'm not so much concerned about the size of your faith. I'm concerned about the size of your God. Because if our faith is constantly rattled, maybe we see this small little God who's scared, intimidated, and caught off guard. But the grander we see our God, the stronger our faith is. Which is why I repeat all the time, my favorite verses about God is that he rules and reigns and does all things well. He sits in the heavens and does what he pleases. Our God is God. All the way God. All the time God. He's got it. He's God. Timothy Keller said it's not the strength of our faith. It is the object of our faith that saves us. A whole lot of faith in the wrong thing will still lead us to lostness. But if we trust that God is God, we're building a faith that will endure even a pandemic or a job loss or fill in the blank. He's God. And there is no other. There's no other source, object, person worthy of our faith. He alone is God. He alone is God. 
And as we grow in faith, when we grow in the knowledge of the reason it's so important to spend time in God's word, to come together with God's people, to engage with spiritual truth is because every one of us have a caricature viewed cartoon version of God. And growing up in our faith is seeing him as bigger and bigger, not than he is, but a little clearer glimpse of how huge he really is. Right? We trust someone more when we see them do something really impressive. And that's what it is. As we see more of who God is, we're like, I can't help but trust him. He's God. And, and I believe what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying is whatever you do. Don't put your trust in people. Our faith must not be rooted in a person. Our faith must not be rooted in a boss. Our faith must not be rooted in a mentor or a hero or a spouse or our kids or a friend. Our faith must be in God and in God alone. Our faith must not be in a politician. Our faith must not be in a politician. I've seen among people claiming to be Christ followers in the last couple of years far more faith in a politician than I've ever seen them display in our God. Our faith must not be in a pastor. Because the writer of Hebrews is about to talk about the heroes of the faith. But he's not saying trust them. He's saying, look at how much they trusted God. And here's the thing. I'm no Abraham. I'm no Isaac. I'm no Jacob. I'm no Moses. Don't put your faith in me. As we continue to see the heartbreak of of influential evangelical leaders who fall and and lose their testimony and and get caught in immorality. I, I watch as people turn their their faith on God away because of how that person fell. And I just wonder, did they ever really trust my God or did they just trust that guy? Because the the cancer of celebrity Christianity is we build platforms that no man is ever meant to stand upon. And then when his humanity reveals itself and he crumbles under that, we turn our backs on the good gospel that the broken dude proclaimed. Our faith should not be in people. Don't put your faith in me. I am one minute apart from the grace of God from utter ruin. From bringing reproach on the name of Jesus. The only reason I'm not under a bridge with railroad tracks on my arms today is the mercy of God. And I'll be there tomorrow apart from his mercy. Don't put your faith in me. I'm not worthy. Please have a faith that endures beyond my ups and downs. My good days and bad days. I am not worthy of a person's affection or worship or adoration or faith. Let's trust God together and race to the finish line of faith, believing he's the only one worth pursuing. And by the way, that's not just true of me. It's true of you, too, whether you're humble enough to admit it today. And so I would challenge you, don't put your faith in a congregation. 
If you put your faith in a congregation, I promise you, you will be disappointed. You'll leave that church bitter, angry, broken, and upset. You will not be fulfilled by placing your faith in another person, even the best of them. Whatever that means. I heard a pastor say this week, and I would never say this, but I will quote him in saying this. He said every time he meets someone visiting his church who in the first conversation begins to tell him about the church that wounded them so deeply that they just left. He said, I have this overwhelming impulse to tell them, well, let's just save each other some time and let me offend you now. So that you don't stay here for five years waiting for somebody to offend you and leave here just as bitter as you left there and the previous church that you left bitter and the previous church that you left bitter and the previous church that you left bitter. If you continue to look for Christians to satisfy you, complete you, be God for you, you will leave here just as disappointed as you got here. And I don't think I would ever say that that bluntly. But that's what he said. I was on the treadmill listening to him say that and literally almost fell off the treadmill. I threw both hands in and went, hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Uh, anyways, true story. It really happened. Um, preaching was so good, I almost broke my neck. We don't put our faith in a denomination. I've never been more confused about what a denomination stood for than I have today. Some of the stuff I've heard out of Baptists in the last 12 months. Whew. We don't put our faith in a denomination and we don't even put our faith in a bullet point of doctrinal beliefs. The only thing worthy of our faith is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It is Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh dwelling among us. It is the Holy Spirit of God at work among us. He alone is God. Faith has done the homework of evaluating its object. God is God. The faith is believing in more than what we see. Faith is believing that God is God, but that's not all. Faith is believing that God is good. And sometimes that's the hardest step on the journey of faith. Because it's not just that we believe that he is, it's that he rewards those who orient their lives towards him who seek after him, who draw near to him, who, as A.W. Tozer said, pursue him. Faith believes that the pursuit of God is the good life. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how people respond to us, that following after him alone is the good life. When the bank account's empty, or not what we want it to be, when the retirement plan fell apart, when there's sickness, we still believe that he's good. That's faith. And I've shared this before, and I'll, I'll, I'll share it again. I, this has been the hardest journey, part of the journey of faith for me. I grew up in, in a, a part of the body of Christ that that made God to be so aggressively authoritarian and angry and ready to punish, excited to find wrong almost. 
that my whole life I've believed that God was God. What kind of God wasn't, right? Like he had to be authoritative. That's just not good news for anybody because if he's having a bad day or if you act human, you're toast. And at 43 years old, I'm still unlearning a doctrine of an unloving father. He's not just God. He's good. He rewards those who would follow after him. Not just when we get to heaven, it'll be worth it. (laughs) I always believe that. Heaven will be swell. In the meantime, buckle up. Would you like to give your life to Christ? (laughs) No? Faith is believing that God is good. That there's joy and life and satisfaction found in the pursuit of his presence. Which would be a consuming conviction, right? Like to believe that he alone is good, you can't be half in with that. Mark Buchanan once said, and it's brilliant, well, I want to make sure I give him credit for it, he said, he said, we have, we've classified religion in its most generic form in our culture as theists and atheists. Those who believe there's a God and those who don't. He said, but in, in the American, North American context, there really needs to be a third category of theists, atheists, and apatheists. Those who believe there's a God... She doesn't really have anything to do with life. She's not really all that into it. Apathy. Joined to faith. And I don't believe that's God's definition of faith. The belief that there is reward in him that is found nowhere else, is far more than a belief that, yeah, I think there's a God. He's out there doing something and, like, answering prayers, kind of like Jim Carrey did on Bruce Almighty or whatever. She didn't really have anything to do with my day-to-day life. And so many people who call themselves in the faith have that kind of an expression of their belief in God. As we grow in our faith, somebody hear my heart this morning. As we mature in our faith, I don't just believe that we become more and more convinced that he's a rewarder. I believe we, come, we become more and more convinced that he is the reward. He's the gift. He's the good himself. And for sure, he blesses us with good things. Praise his name. Hallelujah. But at the end of the day, my faith has never been stronger than it is this morning. That he's the reward. He's the good. And he's not playing hide and seek for me today. He's available. This idea of drawing near almost implies that he went somewhere. This idea of seeking after him almost implies that we lost him. He's here. He's present. 
So I used the analogy earlier of walking into a room and being convinced something's up. You with me? Faith is believing that you've never walked into a room ever in your life, nor will you ever walk into a room for the rest of your life that something wasn't up. And that up is for you. It's for your good. That's faith. Faith is believing in more than what we see. Faith is believing that God is God. And faith is believing that God is good. One of the reasons I believe that that God's good is because he requires faith of us. Hang with me. You ever ask the question, why does God require faith for us to have a relationship with him? Why does he require faith for us to be born again? Why does he require faith to be raised from life to death? Here's the answer. He requires faith in himself because he's good. Because he knows that if we place our faith anywhere else, it will lead to brokenness. Broken heartedness, disillusionment, and ultimately destruction. So in his goodness, he demands that he alone is the object of our faith. Faith is believing that he himself is the reward. Here's the last point. Faith is believing that believing is a gift. Faith is believing that believing in and of itself, the concept of faith, is itself a gift. Go back to the beginning of of verse number six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. I don't know how to tell you this today, but it's impossible for us to please him anyhow. We can't be him. And so it's true that without faith, it's impossible to please him. But without him, it's impossible to have faith. Did anybody else hear that? We can't muster up faith. It is, it is incapable. It is, it is inhuman to trust what we cannot see. That is not natural. It is supernatural to truly trust in him. It's a gift. Which... We end there this morning because maybe as you listen to this, you're like, I want to believe more. I want to be able to trust that I don't really know everything that's going on in every moment. And I want to trust that he really is God. And I want to see him as grander and more glorious in my life. And and I want to trust in a deeper way that he's good. Well, here's good news. That's not something you have to find in yourself. It's a gift. I love these verses from Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9 say this. For by grace, we've been saved. Those of us who've come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Those of us who've experienced what Jesus calls being born again. That's the work of grace. Right? That's God giving us something we didn't earn. We didn't, we didn't figure out our own. We've been saved. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Good job, me. Nope. This is not your undoing. It is the gift 
of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What's the gift? By definition, grace is a gift. It is receiving something we did not earn. Guess what the grace was? Faith. We've been saved by the grace of faith. Does that make sense? The the gift is the the ability to trust the gift. (laughs) The gift of grace is the gift of faith. And here's the thing about a gift. We know what to do if a good person has a gift for us. All of a sudden, the mystery and the, the uh, the, the, the mystique is broken down and approachable. Here, here's what we do with a gift from a good father. You ready? We ask him for it. Hey, I think my name's on that. Can I have it? We ask him, God, I want to trust you. We pray prayers like, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We pray prayers like, God, you've been so faithful. And I'm still so fallen that I want to continue to trust you. That won't happen if you don't pour out your grace on me with more faith. God, we're asking. And I believe this morning somebody needs to full-blown what we used to call cry out for faith. God, I'm begging you for faith. I've got like, you said a mustard seed was all, then I must be like in the negative. I got so little faith. Like it's a black hole pulling things into the vortex. That's how little faith I've got today. And somebody would just cry out today and say, God, I need more faith to trust you in my marriage. I need more faith to trust you with my finances. I need more faith for healing. I need more faith for grieving. I need more faith to trust you on the next step of this journey. Give me faith. But when we ask for a gift, there is another step. And that's receiving. And I think for some of us, maybe we're looking so much at our our obstacles or our hurts or our fears that we're not looking at his pattern of faithfulness that's supposed to grow our faith and in the receiving of faith is beginning to look with spiritual eyes at the work of God in our life and then when we do get a gift we cherish it we just rejoice in it thank you God for the gift to trust you a little more today than I did yesterday And it's in that celebrating of it, it's in that enjoying it, that he grows it. And now you have something else to celebrate and to rejoice in, and then he'll grow it some more. This morning, for some, that that step of faith is the first ever step of faith. I had an awesome conversation with an awesome dude last week where where we talked about the, the starting line of faith versus the finish line of faith. The finish line of faith is I trust God in everything all the way with every answer kind of figured out. And we're all a long way from the finish line of faith. But maybe for you today, you're at the starting line of faith, which would say, God, I want to trust you to save my brokenness, to save my soul, to birth me into a new relationship with you. And if you find yourself at the starting line of faith, here's what I want you to know. Before you walked in this room, I've been praying that God would give you faith. And as I just whispered that, there's some other folks in this room who just joined in that prayer in Jesus' name, praying that God would give you faith. 
And I'm just asking you to join with us in our prayer. We've already started for you. Say, God, give me faith. And if you're ready to take the first step of faith today, in just a minute we're going to sing about who our God really is and His goodness, that He's a He's a healer. And as we sing this song, I'll be down front. There's going to be some men and women in the prayer room in the back, or there's a form that you can click that says, Can We Talk? And maybe for you that click or that step is literally the first step of faith to a life-changing relationship with a good God. Again, maybe for you, as we're singing, you need to come and kneel down here and just pray for faith with whatever you're facing right now. Maybe you want prayer one-on-one and you'd go to the prayer room or or ask for prayer online. You just need somebody to to be a a faith warrior with you. Because I believe there are seasons God lets us borrow faith from other people. Maybe that's what you need today. I'm going to close with this story. I want us to to see an example of faith. And, And I love the examples here in the scripture. And I don't pretend that we can improve upon Abraham and Moses. But I do want to come a little more current, maybe. <laughs> maybe somebody who doesn't wear a robe. I want to talk to you about a guy named Nick Vujicic. Nick Vujicic is a picture of faith, in my opinion. I really got to know his story a few years ago. I read a book actually written by his father about raising a child who was born with no legs and no arms. The family loves Jesus. Nick actually travels around and speaks to people about how much faith is reflected in our attitude, the way we look at life. If anybody else could be having a pity party, it's a guy with no arms and no legs, right? And he's spending his life spreading hope. But here's the picture of faith that I see in Nick Vujicic. You ready? He keeps a pair of shoes in his closet. Nobody? He has no arms or legs. And he keeps a brand new pair of shoes at all times in his closet. And here's what he says. I keep a pair of shoes in my closet because I have faith in a God who performs miracles. That's faith. (laughs) Faith that says, I can't make sense of this. I can't see this. And other people think I'm nuts. But if you just met my God, you'd believe. Maybe today the, the step of faith is somebody needs to go buy a pair of shoes to put in your closet. Juan Hernandez, if you're watching, I don't mean an actual pair of shoes. Sylvia, I did not give him permission to buy another pair of shoes. But to take a step of faith, to, to I think he'd be okay with me saying this, to put feet to faith, to take a step that says, God, I trust you. Because you're God. <laughs>